Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Lights out and away we ayo! Welcome to No Breaks, a Formula One podcast from the No Dunks, Inc. Classic Factory and proudly a part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Today's episode is brought to you by the NBA. That's game! Whether you're listening on Apple, Spotify, the Athletic app, or any other podcast service, or if you're part of the Slipstream team here on YouTube, thanks for coming along for the ride. I'm your host today, Trey Kirby. We got JD tuning things up in the paddock. And of course, we're joined by our local F1 expert and Drake's ghostwriter, Graydon Gordian. Graydon, what's up, dude? What's going on, guys? Great to be back. I am very excited that we are here for episode two. Yeah, no doubt. I'm very excited as well. And I noticed um, today that I randomly chose my Graydon Gordian coffee mug. <laughs> Some would th- say that this is from your wedding uh, when you got married to a person whose name starts with T. But I think this is f- when the podcast was first born. Graydon and Trey, September 23rd, 2017. I hadn't yet watched an F1 race, but you could tell it was coming along soon enough. But I'm with you, Graydon. I didn't expect to be talking F1 again so soon, but the people demanded more no breaks. Hit the DRS, fast track the episode, because a lot has happened since we did our last podcast about a month ago. Not only did we have a triple header of racing, we also went through F1's silly season. We learned about some big names who are going to be moving from team to team. Even got some new Netflix Formula One content. It's been a busy couple of weeks. We'll get to that stuff in a bit because the biggest story this past week no doubt was what went down in monza so let's tackle the racing triple header in reverse chronological order who are these guys we're starting with the italian grand prix for the second straight year at monza a wild podium your winner for the first time since 2018 daniel ricardo Joining him in second is his McLaren teammate, Lando Lando Norris, a McLaren 1-2 right there in third place, Valtteri Bottas from Mercedes. Lots of drama in Monza, Graydon. We'll get to McLaren in a second, but we got to start with the crash between championship rivals Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. I don't know if you're watching this podcast, if you're listening to this podcast, surely you saw it. It kind of started to me on lap 22 of the race. Ricardo had been leading this entire thing. He hits the pits to get some new tires. Next lap, Verstappen does the same. Only he's held up for about 11 seconds in the pit. Pretty crazy considering Red Bull's usually one of the fastest out there. Nonetheless, Hamilton pits thereafter. He's held up for four seconds. Doesn't seem like a long time, but it is when you're used to getting out in two. When Hamilton comes out of pit lane, he's basically wheel to wheel with Verstappen. They touch a little bit through turn one, then they really touch through turn two. Verstappen hits a sausage curb, gets launched 
on top of Lewis Hamilton. Literally on top of him, his car landed on top. At one point, you could see Hamilton trying to duck the wheel of this. It's pretty crazy stuff. Um, just another controversial incident between the two title leaders, Graydon. I gotta hear your take on this. Is somebody at fault? Is this a racing incident? Whatever you got, give it to me. They, I actually am gonna say that the FIA and the stewards handled this it well, which is that the three-place grid penalty that they gave Max Verstappen for the upcoming race in Sochi, I think was appropriate. It's fundamentally a slap on the wrist in which they say this is probably about 60-40 uh, max at fault. And I, I think that's fair. It bordered on a racing incident that's a very tight chicane. Um, he was alongside him through part of it. It was close, but at the same time, I think you have to – one thing about the FIA is it's not – they don't just make decisions based on what occurred, but also based on the outcome. It just inarguably factors in into their thinking about how they dole out penalties. And given where Max landed, the fact that he wasn't ahead, how aggressive he was being throughout that entire incident, I think a, a small penalty was at least merited. Thank God Hamilton walked away. I think the real hero, the real hero of this is the halo, which I think we've seen time and time again is literally saving the lives of drivers. And one of the real villains here that I think people aren't talking enough about is the sausage curb. Honestly, they have these at tracks across Formula One. I, personally, I don't see why. Uh, they uh, are notorious for causing these sort of incidents where cars go airborne. I think that we need to look at replacing them, especially at places like Monza, where a car is potentially charging through that first corner after having gone in at incredibly high speeds down the main street. Yeah, the only thing I like about the Sausage Curb, as Jerry here mentioned, Trey Sausage Kirby is a great nickname, but it does seem like it's bad for racing because even in this incident with Verstappen, uh, when him and Hamilton are kind of like jostling through these couple of turns, when he goes off, he's still within track limits. Like his car is still where it's legally supposed to be. It's just, so is the Sausage Curb. So it launched him up in the air and like you're saying Graydon a scary image basically seeing the wheel sitting on top of Hamilton's head I think the halo's only been around for a couple of years at this point if I'm not mistaken it was pretty controversial when it came into uh into existence in F1 how can you be against the halo at this point like that was crazy seeing Max's car just stop on Hamilton's at one point Hamilton was trying to reverse out of there uh I don't know that was um that was a scary stuff and you're like oh they probably should have had this halo around for the entirety of F1. Surely they didn't have the technology at the time, but nonetheless, they've got it now. And I'm with you. This was certainly the hero of the day. I got to admit, the one person who I think could get a little bit more criticism is Hamilton for attempting to reverse out of that oh. scenario. I, I I thought that was incredibly dangerous. He clearly was trying to back out with another car sitting on top of him <laughs> when his team was telling him to turn off the engine. I, I understand he's very competitive. He wants to continue the race. To, to get back in the race at that moment would have been critical for his championship hopes and his battle against Max. But that was probably not the most sober, sensible thing to do at that moment. So. Look, if you've got an F1 car sitting on your head, I don't blame you for acting against team <laughs> orders. Uh, you mentioned the penalty. Verstappen, a three-place grid penalty for the next race in Sochi. 
when they when Hamilton and Verstappen got touched up together during the British Grand Prix, I feel like the this is almost the exact opposite of that incident where that one was Hamilton seemed to be a little bit across the line, maybe pushing uh, the boundaries of the risk reward there. He got a 10 second stop and go penalty during that. Obviously, he was able to continue, whereas Max and Lewis, neither of them were uh, at Monza, which is the harsher penalty there getting a grid penalty for the next race or having to sit there in the pits for 10 seconds while everybody else is racing. You know, it, the fact that Lewis came back to win the British Grand Prix would make it seem as if Max's is harsher, but I would actually say Lewis's is harsher. The fact a 10 second stop and go penalty amidst a race that has already begun when you're actively losing time against someone is, is a, is a fairly severe in race penalty. In this instance, you know, Max could start, you know, as high as fourth on the grid. You know, he, but I just think that he certainly has a great shot at winning in Russia, no matter where he begins. I think it's, you know, I think at the end of the day, a three race, uh, three spot grid penalty isn't, you know, isn't that severe and is very overcomable for a, uh, for a driver like Max, I will say it doesn't help because Mercedes has an incredible track record in Russia. They've been dominant mm-hmm. there. So, you know, he he's going to need every grid spot he can get. But nonetheless, I, I would say that Lewis's was actually more severe, despite the fact that kind of looking back, you think, well, look at what he did. But So, so you think that um, Verstappen probably deserved a harsher penalty is what you're saying compared to the Hamilton incident uh, at Silverstone? fair i'm actually i'm actually comfortable with what they did i i I think it's i think a light penalty acknowledging there was some fault and there has to be some repercussions for that is fair and those repercussions should come on the track in some way that's one thing i like about f1 as compared to some sports leagues where maybe they find guys or they do things where things that occur on the court or on the field are, are, don't have a repercussion on the court of the field. I like the fact that F1 finds a way to make it impact the races. So in this sense, I think it's fair. Yeah, I definitely do. How much of, um, how much of this do you think was Verstappen being pissed that he had an 11 second stop? And as he was coming, or as Hamilton was coming out of the pits, that almost seemed like the race right there. Like that overtake, if Hamilton get, or if Hamilton holds on, he might hold on and actually win that race. Uh, I saw some takes, obviously, on Twitter afterwards. You know, people saying it was an intentional thing from Max to kind of throw that race away. I don't think that was the case, but it definitely did seem like you ain't getting by me right now, buddy, no matter yeah. what. Yeah, I, I, I think that's I, I think that's right. Would I call it intentional? That's a very, very, that's a very <laughs> serious accusation, but I, but I would say that Absolutely. I think a Max was probably heated that slow stop that exceptionally slow stop, you know, was costing him the race. Uh, But two, I think that he if you look at the risk reward, he's got to get in front of Hamilton at that moment. Otherwise, Hamilton has fresher, faster tires. He's going to be stuck behind him. Hamilton's going to run away from him. That is the entire race right there. A hundred percent. So I think for him, he sees little little point in playing it safe that is the moment in his mind to be aggressive which clearly he was i don't think that that is how he ima- imagined it ending but nonetheless yeah i, th- I think from his, he sees no downside to going for it at that moment yeah i'm with you all said and done 
Neither Verstappen nor Hamilton finished. I think that was the first DNF for Hamilton since 2018. The guy always brings the car across. No points for those guys, which leaves Max with a five-point lead in the Drivers' Championship with seven races currently left on the schedule. Uh, uh, Valtteri Bottas, sorry, finished third. Sergio Perez came in fifth. So Mercedes currently has an eight-point lead. In the Constructors' Championship, enough about those big-timers. Let's talk about the orange and blue 1-2 from McLaren. Danny Rick with the win, Lando Norris in P2. How great was it seeing the Papaya Pals on the podium? Oh, my gosh. What? How awesome. McLaren is one of the great teams in F1, right? Like one of these storied organizations in the sport. And to see them back on the top two steps is incredible. It's such a long road back for McLaren from kind of, you know, the, the you know, kind of the back of the grid, you know, where they had kind of fallen. So it's, it's so cool to see them there. It's so exciting to see Danny Rick back up on the top step, a guy who's so competitive, who's worked so hard and truly never kind of stopped believing in his own ability to win races. It's exciting. Also, a big shout out to Lando Norris, who I think had was such a great teammate through that, asking the team whether it made sense for him to stay in <laughs> P2 versus fight for it, clearly being thrilled for his teammate. Yeah, I just think that you don't always see that in F1. Let's be yeah. real. Oftentimes, guys, you know, it can be an incredibly tense relationship between drivers on the same team. Norris, clearly like an awesome guy, an awesome driver, so excited for the team and his teammate. He'll get his throughout his career, and he knows that. And I, I just thought that. It was cool to see him incredibly likable stuff from him. Yeah, and I thought it was really classy the way he was going about asking if he could be the one to finish in first place. He's like, are we sure? We sure here? You might want me to take over. I don't know. Just let me know. Just let me know. I was certainly hoping for it. Uh, well, especially after you zinged me saying that uh, who's going to predict Lando Norris wins a, wins a race in the second half? Of course <laughs> I did. And then he got really close, Graydon. But how surprised were you that it was Ricardo that actually got the win for Norris because, like you're saying, it seems a given that Lando Norris is going to get a win eventually. I would I would say very surprised. <laughs> yeah. I would say, like, I, I, I definitely would not have predicted that. Certainly, and especially after uh, the way things had gone in the Netherlands at Zanzibar, you know, where, where, you know, Danny didn't have an incredible race. You know, neither of them had a great race, to be honest. So I, I think that they, you know, it, it certainly didn't look like, you know, Danny's fortunes had had flipped quite yet. Um, and it, that being said, it made sense that McLaren was very competitive at Monza with the design of the car, with the Mercedes engine. I think it was well suited to the track. I wasn't surprised to see them being highly competitive, but yeah, certainly I, I would have presumed that Norris would would be on that top step well before Danny, as I think most anybody would. If any, I'm very impressed if you're if you're the person who called. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're that person, you're probably an Australian like Liela saying it's going to be Danny Rick atop. But I was super impressed. He led the entire race as well. Like he had a great start. He dusted Verstappen into the first turn, and it was basically over. It was just a matter of pits and hanging on to the end. Pretty great stuff. You mentioned it. McLaren dropped off quite a bit. That was their first race win since 2012. How is that possible? You know, it's it just, I, I think they really struggled at the beginning of the uh, hybrid engine era they've had. You know, they, they struggled with their, you know, old engine partner in Honda before Honda had moved over to Red Bull. There was, you know, a bunch of notorious issues there. I think they, you know, they had a lot of organizational changes at the, at the, at the top before Zach Brown had come in. So I think that there's just, uh, 
they just had a lot of turmoil inside that organization, but they managed to right the ship, you know, rebuild the right way, uh, you know, get great drivers, put together a great organization, you know, back in Woking uh, at their headquarters. And I, I think that it, it's incredible what they've done. I think it's a script for other teams, most notably, say, Williams, to follow teams that are storied great, know they can be great and have to find a way you know, back from the very bottom, McLaren is a great example to follow of how to rebuild an F1 organization. And then it's really exciting when you finally do rebuild it and you got Daniel Ricciardo being the guy who's on the podium. As Ronald mentions, so great to see another shoey celebration from Daniel Ricciardo. I 100% agree. Everybody was hoping he was going to do it. He did not disappoint. But it wasn't just Daniel Ricciardo. He also made Lando Norris do a shoey as well. Lando said he was happy he did it and that he hopes he also never has to do it again. And then they even made their team principal, Zach Brown, do it. I was dying laughing at this. Apparently, Valtteri Bottas just kind of kept it cool and didn't mention that Ricardo has never made him do a shoey. Because if you end up on the podium with this guy, he is making you drink out of his shoe. I went on Wikipedia. I looked this up, Graydon. Currently 371 words, just about Daniel Ricardo's Formula One shoeies. He's made Verstappen, Hamilton, Lance Stroll, and Nico Rosberg do it when they were on the podium. He made Christian Horner do it. He made retired driver Mark Webber do it. He made Gerard Butler and Patrick Stewart drink out of his shoe. If you get up on the podium with Daniel Ricardo, you're tasting his feet. There's no doubt about it. Would you like to drink from his shoe? Would I like to? (laughs) (laughs) Would you? Would I? offer. Yes, absolutely. Of course. Of course. I'm going to do it. I'm game. I've got, you know, I'll try anything once, even drinking from Danny Rick's shoe. It sounds like you haven't, uh, excuse me, had anything from a shoe. What's the grossest thing you have drank from? That's not true. I have drank from a shoe. I used to play a little club rugby and did it with a bunch of Australian guys. And after matches, they would absolutely do that. It is awful. If you can avoid doing it, please avoid it. If (laughs) if at all possible, I'll try not to end up on the podium, but I don't know. I don't know. I know an Australian. I can't believe Lee's never tried to encourage us to drink out of his shoes. Oh, maybe we see that's, that's, Maybe that's a pick and payoff. Maybe that's a punishment. That's a good pick and payoff. Do it, Chewy. Maybe that's, yeah. I love it. Last couple things about Monza before we move on to these other races. Second sprint qualifying of the season at the Italian Grand Prix. So on Friday, we had qualifying, sprint race qualifying. Valtteri Bottas finished P1 on Saturday. I think it ended up being 18 laps of racing. Bottas wins the sprint race, finishes on pole, ends up having to start from the back because I think he got a new power unit. Is that right? Correct. We've seen two of these sprint qualifying races now. Do you like it? Two in. All right. I'm going to admit I'm kind of a hater. Kind of a hater, huh? It's a little bit more quantity over quality. It's fun to have an additional day in the F1 weekend where there's actual things that are at stake. And don't get me wrong, sprint qualifying is more fun than, say, just another practice round, which is a real snoozer. But at the same time, I think you see that so much of the strategy and the competitiveness in a race folds out over, you know, after the pit stops, as tire strategy emerges, things like that. And, and over a number, you know, 20 or less laps, 
those things just don't come into play as much. I, I'm worried that these sprint races are gonna have a tendency to turn into parades. And then aside from the first lap or two, they're not going to be that action packed. So that, that's my anxiety. I'm, I would love to be proven wrong, as I think in theory, it's super fun. I'm just not sure I'm seeing it yet. Yeah, I'm with you. I think you totally nailed it. I get excited every time we're like, oh, there's a sprint race this weekend. And then it's exciting for the first lap. I think um, that after the first lap uh, uh, from qualifying this past weekend, the top eight places didn't even change after the first lap. Sergio Perez said, this is very boring. Said the sprint race didn't (laughs) add anything. Which is not totally true. You know, Pierre Gosley did crash out uh, in this. Antonio Giovinazzi had a nice drive. I don't think his name has been mentioned yet on No Break, so shout out to him. But it is a little bit processional because the risk-reward just doesn't make sense. Like, why are you going to burn your car during a qualifying race when you could just try and race again on Sunday? I saw that Fernando Alonso suggested maybe they should go to a single lap sprint qualifying, which I think is the way they used to do it in the early 2000s. You think they should tinker with the format of this at all? <laughs> Did Alonso recommend that? Yeah, that man. That's a, I mean, that's a crazy idea. That's a, I, that's a very high stakes lap. I will say it does remind me, I think this came up on the last no breaks, of the last few laps in Baku this year, where they restarted after a red flag. They had a standing restart, and there was only maybe four laps to go or something like that. And all four of those laps were absolutely wild and action-packed so perhaps maybe a one lap might be too (laughs) extreme first lap yeah that's but and might just encourage you maybe reckless overtaking but i could see a very very short race even shorter than the current sprint race being exceptionally exciting because you have no reason to save anything you you know you, you, you there's an incentive to go for it at any moment you can potentially Awesome race at Monza. I had Silverstone as my favorite from the first half of the season. This reminded me so much of it that I think it's going to be hard to beat for the best race from the second half. And I got to say, no doubt about it, my favorite guest in Formula One history, Vin Diesel, showed up in Lewis Hamilton's quarter corner for the race at the Monza Grand Prix. Uh, obviously, Vin Diesel, the star of the Fast and Furious franchise. This was like my entire 2021 summer coming together at one. I saw a video clip of Lewis saying he had just met Vin Diesel. And the first thing he asked him was, can you like actually drive? I didn't hear Vin's response, but that was the first thing they ended up talking about. But I could not believe that Vin showed up uh, at the Monza Grand Prix. I think it was um, Tom Cruise. Was that the British Grand Prix? Tom Cruise, out with the old, in with the new. Vin Diesel's the new Tom Cruise. I could not believe it. <laughs> Sergio says the F and F1 stands for family. We got to see yeah. Lewis Hamilton uh, in a Fast and Furious at this point. Oh, yeah. I would love that. That would be awesome. It's the Italian uh, Grand Prix when you're here, your family. <laughs> that's exactly right. You got anything else from Monza grade and anything else we didn't get to? No, I think that's I think that's about it. Impressed with uh, you know my boy Charlie, Charlie Leclerc coming home and forth. I thought that was nice. And other than that, you know, I thought it was. I agree with you. Great race, super fun. You know, you know, has me excited for for what's coming up next. Yeah, next couple should be a little bit quicker. Let's head to the Netherlands for the first Dutch Grand Prix since 1985 on the podium. Max Verstappen wins his home race, which at the time put him into the lead for the Drivers' Championship, which he still holds. He was joined 
by Lewis Hamilton in second and Valtteri Bottas in third. It had been a while since there had been a Grand Prix uh, in the Netherlands. What do you think of Circuit Zonfort? It's it's fun. I think my wife was kind of hating on the the landscaping uh, of it. She thought they could do, you could you could be jazzed up a little bit, but uh, beyond that, I think the course is fun. Some of the you know some of the the turns are really unique in the F1 calendar stuff you don't see anywhere else. And at the end of the day, this real this for me is all about Max winning his home Grand Prix. The crowd mm-hmm. there was electric. They had been waiting years for this return. The, the Dutch love Max as much as any fan base loves a driver in F1. So for him to get a win there, for the crowd to be going so nuts, I'm sure that that was a live experience, kind of unlike, you know, unlike a race anywhere else in the world. So that's just, it's just fun. I'm sure the people there had a blast. What a cool thing for Max to be able to bring that home um, for for all those fans in attendance. Yeah, I think Lauren's nailed it in the Slipstream team. The best thing about Zandvoort, were the fans 100%. I think it was uh, as they were doing the formation lap, Croft said something like, the fans have been asked not to light off their flares before the end of the race. And you can see like 10 flares were already going off. And they're like, these things are acrid. I thought that was hilarious. All the orange was great. And as Lawrence mentioned, a cool banking corner, uh, no doubt. But turned into a little bit of a processional. And like you're saying, or like Taryn is saying, I was underwhelmed by the foliage. Not quite as lush as I was hoping for a beachside track. Yeah. Although, admittedly, probably fun to go. She, Taryn did reverse course and say, it would be kind of cool to go to the beach and then go immediately and then walk to a race. You know, it could be a fun weekend, a little weekend getaway. Yeah, no doubt about that. This one, though, as a race, felt like it was over pretty quickly. Verstappen had a 1.7 second lead after the first lap. It was up to 2.3 seconds after lap two. And Mercedes and Hamilton at that point were just scrambling. They switched to a two-stop strategy pretty quickly. And then almost as soon as they did, Hamilton was like, we came in too early. Uh, You know, Red Bull seemed like had the answer every single time. And a lot of the time it was, oh, Lewis is coming. Better push a little harder. And then Max would just stretch it out. And then he got to celebrate at home. It was really cool. I got to bond with my sister because she's a big royal family watcher. And the king of the Netherlands was there. And this guy's like... um, He's like the chillest bro of all the royalties over okay. there in Europe. I guess he like flies commercial jets or something like that, but never tells anybody it's him. Only they can recognize his voice because he's the king or something like that. Nonetheless, a fair race. A couple other fun things from this mo- from this one. The best moment of racing on the weekend to me was in qualifying. In Q3, Max had provisional pole. Hamilton takes 0.038 seconds off his best time. Ties Max for P1. And then Max takes another .038 off his time to take pull. That was like, uh, you know, the Derek Jeter tip your cap respects to me. I was like, hey, you got to show up in the big time. And he did. And also, quick shout out to Pierre Gasly. He finished P4 in qualifying, P4 on race day, ahead of both McLarens and both Ferraris, and crucially, Graydon, ahead of Red Bull's Sergio Perez. Now, Gasly used to have the second seat for Red Bull. He went to Alpha Tauri last year. And, but uh, he wants to be in that Red Bull second seat. Do you think he deserves that second seat over Sergio Perez? Gasly's been awesome since he went back down to Red Bull's junior team. Gosh, it's a great question. And part of me, I does he want it? 
of course he wants it because everybody wants to be in a seat where they're genuinely vying for a title, which I'm sure Gasly would think he would if he were among the top two teams. But part of me almost doesn't want it for him. The the difficulty of driving the Red Bull car, the political complexities of that organization, he doesn't have to worry about any of that. He is he is absolutely driving that Alphatari on the limit. He is getting, he's squeezing the most points out of it possible. He's becoming, you know, kind of the darling of the midfield as he does it. I, I just love watching him succeed. And of course, has he earned another shot at a top team? Inarguably, he's proving himself to be a, a truly talented driver and arguably a driver that could win a world title if he was given the opportunity. But I'm also loving seeing him flourish versus you know, that half a season that he spent at Red Bull, which was kind of torturous and awful to watch as he floundered around and failed next to Max. So, yeah, I, 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 there's, I, I go both ways on it. How do you feel about Perez in the second seat this year? Do you think this has been a successful year for him? I mean, Verstappen is in the lead. You know, Red Bull is right there with Mercedes in the Constructors' Championship. And I think that those are, I mean, obviously they want to win Constructors, but more so they want Max to win. And he needed a reliable second driver. Perez has been very up and down. I feel like he's better on Sundays. Like he's definitely a great race driver and he's had trouble qualifying, but is he, is he the better choice there in the second seat? Is he, I thought he was going to be like, you know, challenging for fourth. I thought he was going to maybe get his way into the title picture just because he seems to do well on Sundays. And it's been a little bit underwhelming, I think. I think Perez has absolutely been underwhelming. I understand it's tough to drive a new car, and that's always going to be a challenge to come in and get accustomed to it. But I also think that Perez is is too high risk of a driver. You know, mm -hmm. he finds himself taking it when in actuality, what Red Bull needs is a guy who brings it across the finish line. You know, in the top five reliably. I think if you if Red Bull ends up winning the driver's title, but not the constructor's title, you have to put some of that blame on Perez and his risk tolerance throughout the season and his aggressive style of driving. Uh, and, and sometimes sloppy choices he makes, like, you know, his clearly illegal overtake uh, of Leclerc at Monza and mm -hmm. then his unwillingness to give the place back. He would have had plenty of time <laughs> to retake Charles and then actually finish in fourth had he done that. But the mere fact that he didn't cause him to get a time penalty and finish even further down the grid, I think that, that these sorts of mistakes are, you know, I think that they are they may end up costing Red Bull the world title. And, and I, I, it is a good question. Would Gasly be doing a better job at this point? Certainly you could make that argument. Well, the Dutch Grand Prix wasn't the most exciting race, but at least it was a race, which is more than we can say for the Belgian Grand Prix. Everybody was excited for Spa. We couldn't stop talking it up, Graydon. Everybody was even looking forward to a little rain, except for Nikita Mazepin. I'll say that. He's like, I want it to be dry, which that guy definitely wants it to be dry because it can't stop spinning. But every other driver was like, oh, hopefully we get a little bit of rain. Not this much rain. Thanks to an ongoing downpour, we got the shortest race in Formula One history. One official lap, Graydon. Another two behind safety cars, but one lap is what goes down in the record books. Literally zero racing on Sunday, but it still counted. Max Verstappen got the win. George Russell came in second after an awesome day at qualifying, and Lewis Hamilton finished third. Top 10 only got half points for the race. So we've got point fives everywhere. It looks ridiculous. Graydon, what happened at Spa? 
I mean, it's my favorite race of the year, so I, and I said that out loud on this podcast, so I blame myself for, <laughs> for jinxing it. For jinxing it. It's you, man. I, 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 it's, I mean, I, I, I had never seen anything like it, and I, I ridiculously watched all four you know, plus hours of this broadcast. <laughs> <Same>. yep. <laughs> and I, and I, I've never seen anything quite like it. I, I, I'm thrilled for Russell. I mean, the guy, I cannot believe he put it in P2 to start the race. That was incredible. That was one of the great qualifying drives I've ever seen in all of my time watching F1. I've never seen a guy in a, in a car that just doesn't compete with those at the very top of the grid, pull off something like that in qualifying, which tends to equalize against the car as much as the driver. And then, but on the race itself, for me, the big question is, and I'd love to know what you think about this, Trey, is you know, should we have given half points? Should people have been awarded championship points for having had no competitive racing on Sunday? Some people are saying yes, because qualifying itself is part of the competitive, you know, part of the competitive weekend. Some people are saying no. I don't I don't know how I feel about it, if I'm being quite honest. You know. Well, I know it's half points, so it doesn't technically count as much as any of the other races but you know everybody's points are getting adjusted so it kind of does I was it just didn't make sense to me that they couldn't just be like all right it's been raining all day let's do it Monday I know it's all because of travel and that kind of thing but maybe that means you can't build in a triple header which makes it impossible especially when you're going to one of the most famous tracks one of the most beloved tracks on the schedule it was just very strange to me to be spending four hours watching these crazy rain plumes come up. And then at the end, they gave points away. I, I couldn't believe that. That it's, It would be like if they played three minutes of an NBA game, then the floor got wet, and then they're like, yeah, but we're still going to count it. You know, like I'm looking at the schedule. There is another slot that's open for this. They could have easily, I mean, not easily, but they theoretically could have moved the Belgian Grand Prix to one of these open weekends or something like that. It was just, uh, it's very strange to see a race basically called off and still have it count just as much as usual. I, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I don't like seeing the half points there. That's the thing that's really it, throwing me off. It's unprecedented to be honest. And, and to be honest, the fact that it occurs, I don't think we need to make too many rules. I've heard a lot of people call for rule changes or to rethink the half points. The one thing I will say is this clearly happened so infrequently, something to scale. I don't know that we need to go adjusting a bunch of rules to account for such an edge case scenario. Uh, that being said, clearly it's a little awkward, and I don't think anybody's thrilled with the outcome, least of all the organizers of the race or the FIA, but, you know, it, it is what it is. Yeah, and Williams was certainly loving it. They celebrated George Russell's P2 like it was any other race, which they should have because they crushed it in qualifying, like you're saying. They just had the perfect timing and the perfect tires every single time they went out. But we also did have a scary crash in qualifying. Lando Norris went aquaplaning, also known as hydroplaning here in the United States, at Eau Rouge, had a big spinning accident at Radion, came basically... Less than a minute, I would say, after we heard Sebastian Vettel on the radio saying, we shouldn't be driving. There's too much standing water on the course. Uh, he was right behind Lando Norris. Kind of a cool moment to see him stopping and making sure that Lando was okay, which he was. But we talked about how famous these corners are on the last podcast. And then I saw a lot of stuff in our group chat, and I saw a lot of stuff um, post-race saying, do they need to change these corners? Are the cars too big and fast right now to be able to handle this kind of downhill stuff? 
Yeah, I, I, it is a good question. I, I think at this point, Eau Rouge and Redion, while you know, two of the iconic corners in, in the F1 calendar, you, you have to ask yourself if a blind corner that you're taking at that speed is is acceptable, uh, you know, and is, is something that we should, you know, continue to have here, you know? So I think, I think it's something where, you know, what sort of, what sort of adjustments could we make? You know, I'm not sure whether it's about extending the, expending the gravel trap on the far side or whether it's about, you know, changing the angle of the corner. And there's been a lot of talk about how there's a service road just beyond the fence. So that's why you can't move the corner. In some basic sense, that's ridiculous. I get it's a road, but you can move roads too. You're talking about moving a track or changing things. That to me is 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 kind of a lame excuse if what we're really talking about is driver safety. I think at this point, at the very least, what it is is we've seen enough incidents there that we need to, you know, we've seen enough incidents that we need to say, okay, this deserves a serious, this deserves serious attention. How do we make sure that this is a a safe corner. The truth is, is what happened with Norris is nothing compared to the tragedy that happened with Antoine Hubert uh, just a uh, a couple of years ago, where he lost his life. Or if you happen to see the crash from you know the W series, where there was a pileup with a number of the women drivers, that was luckily all of those women were okay. That was a very scary incident. So, inarguably, this is something that's gonna need addressing i think in the near future yeah i thought it was pretty crazy watching it that uh brundle basically called the the spin out before it even happened he he just happened to notice norris coming down on the wrong line and that he didn't come back out from the trees basically the right way i was like wow that's a you really got to know your courses to know if somebody is having that tiny bit of a mistake that's going to cost you so all in all decent triple header would have been better if spa wasn't such a dud but we're still going to give out some awards here great and f1 gives out driver of the day for all of their races. I've noticed though, if you win the race, it's basically impossible to get driver of the day. That's one of the weirdest things of it to me. It's like, uh, that seems to be the be the guy that I would vote for. Nonetheless, we're gonna give out our driver of the triple header here on no breaks. We've watched three of these races, two and a half, if you will. Graydon, who are your top three from these past three races? Okay, top three from across the, okay. So for me, I think that at, Number three, I, I'm going to go with, despite the DNF, I am going to go with Pierre Gasly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the DNF was not his fault uh, in, in, in Monza, and I think that uh, he is – I think that he drove great you know, before, and he also had a, you know, a a really strong qualifying uh, in Belgium. I think he's done really well. Number two, I'm going to go with Danny Rick, you know, who obviously I think deserves big time praise for what he did at Monza. And despite having a weak uh, Dutch Grand Prix coming in 11th, you know, again, also had actually, uh, you know, had done uh, pretty well in Belgium himself, but, you know, put it in P4 on that day. So it was starting to show flashes of what would come. And then for number one from the restart, it feels a lame. But to be honest, I think it, for me, it's got to be Max bringing home, you know, P1 points from two of the three races, even though he didn't finish in Monza and it was only half points in Belgium. You know, I, I think, you know, the way he's performed in qualifying, you know, winning two out of the three, He's the guy who's who's performing best uh, through these first few. 
Not bad. I also got Max at number one. He had he was on pole position for all of these, uh, you know, after the Botas stuff happening with uh, the qualifying. He won his home race, took the championship lead. Tough to argue with that. I got Botas, though, at number two here. Two P3s, including winning the sprint race, then battling back after he had his power unit penalty. He had a hilarious reaction to Max and Lewis's crash. And I just think it's been kind of impressive how well he's been performing after all the news about George Russell and Alfa Romeo and everything came out uh, to see Botas basically have his best two or three races of the season so far. And then my number three, you mentioned him earlier, Charlie Leclerc, three points finishes, and he outdrove Carlos Sainz uh, in every single one of these so far. Uh, we had him as one of, we had Sainz over Leclerc as one of our biggest surprises during our first podcast. So I was impressed by what uh, Leclerc's done in Ferrari uh, during these past uh, three races here. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think we even, uh, I think we said at the time, if if Leclerc could just cut out these DNFs and start bringing it across the finish line, we'd probably see you know him start to emerge over signs. He's done that. I, I, yeah, he's he's doing a great job. He is a he's a great driver. So. All right, that's our drivers of the triple header. Let us know in the YouTube comments or on Twitter who you got for the drivers of the triple header these past three races. We're going to take a pit stop real quick, get some fresh tires, and talk silly season after the break. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. NBA free agency, probably the wildest of any in the four major North American sports. Perhaps I'm biased, but a lot of big names change teams every season, Graydon. Nonetheless, doesn't hold a candle to Formula One's silly season, which is basically free agency for next season during the current season. I got two quick questions before we get into what happened. Number one, how did everybody agree to call it silly season? Oh, I have, I have no idea. Totally ridiculous. <laughs> but a, a good name. But a good name. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, uh, baseball has the hot stove, which is a pretty cool name as well. But yeah. silly season, totally ridiculous. My other question, a very obvious one, why does this happen during the season? I think it's because of the amount of development that goes in in the offseason. The truth is, is that these teams and these organizations and a lot of these drivers don't have much of a break the moment it ends. You know, they're already working on their 2022 cars. Some teams like Haas basically never started working on their 2021 <laughs> car. You know, so I think knowing who their drivers are going to be, being able to get them integrated into the organization and to be thinking critically about their driving style and how they're going to work with the car is something they have to start very early. So it's 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 that sort of complexity as far as car development goes means that they've got to make these decisions ahead of time. 
Um, I also think it just goes back to a sort of culture of driving and the way contracts have worked in motorsports for decades that is just very different culturally than the way that we approach sports contracts in the United States. So, yeah, I mean, that's clearly obvious when we talk about some of these things like, you know, being able to pay for a driver to race for another team like that would never happen in the NBA. But it's, you know, it's a common sort of thing as well in soccer with loan programs yeah. and that kind of thing. So, totally. you know, when a play or when a driver switches teams, like we're going to talk about Botas here, is he already going to be working with Alfa Romeo on their car for next season? My understanding is no, not really, because there is a lot of proprietary and kind of inside information at stake across the organization. So they have to be a little bit guarded about, you know, showing things, you know, uh, to different to different teams. So I, I, my understanding is no, that he'll basically be there'll be a bit of a Chinese wall in between him and Alfa Romeo until the season is over. Uh, that being said, is Alfa Romeo thinking critically about Valtteri Botas? Yes, they are. I think they're thinking about his driving style, how he attacks corners, how he does or doesn't manage tires, a bunch of other subtle factors, and that that'll be things that they probably start to build into the vehicle because it looks like Valtteri is going to be the lead driver there and they're mm. going to want to orient the car around his style. So I think that, that, that you know, he won't be that participatory, but they'll be thinking a lot about him. That makes sense. Well, let's get into it. There are basically four major headlines to come out of 2021 silly season, and they all work together in a roundabout way. So I'm stealing a bit from this basketball podcast I love called No Dunks. It's really good. You should check it out. I'll give you a headline, Graydon, and you tell me, is this news? Headline comes from SkySports.com. Kimi Raikkonen announces Formula One retirement at end of 2021 season, saying it's time for new things. Graydon, is this news? I'm going to say this is not news. Oh, we've been expecting this for a while. It's not news to me. I mean, I feel as if, yeah, it's it, we weren't positive it was going to be this season, but it looked as if he was done. Kimi's probably... I don't know whether it's a worse season points wise than last year off the top of my head, but I will say just his form, his driving form is clearly slipping. Mm. He's not having as much fun as he used to have. If you can ever really <laughs> say the kid is out there having a ton of fun, but it's, he, yeah, to me, it seemed, it's, it seems almost inevitable that this would be his last year in F1. We didn't get to Raikkonen on our NBA comparisons last time. I missed his prime. No doubt about it. What's special about Kimi Raikkonen? Oh gosh. I mean, he 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 was he was an incredible driver back in the day and and a guy who I think was just hilarious. I think the way that these guys are so self-serious and so locked in and you know take such good care of their bodies and 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 kind of are in the zone all season long. Kimmy didn't care about any of that. <laughs> Kimmy would like Kimmy would finish a race, go on a six-day bender, show up to the next race completely hungover, and then win. You know, he just he was he was having a great time. He loved racing. He was loving life. He loved traveling around with his buddies around Europe. Uh, you know, racing fast cars and just kind of giving the media one-word answers and and being truly himself, no matter who he was around. 
he was so much fun for that reason, even though he's kind of not an electrifying personality in some basic sense. In another sense, he's completely hilarious and great. So I just think he, he, he's he been such a joy to have in the sport. He will be missed. There's a reason he's a fan favorite and always has been. Uh, it's partly because of his driving style. It's partly because of his curt and quirky style off the track, you know, but I'll certainly miss him. I'll tell you that. What are the odds we ever get him on a broadcast, a Formula One broadcast? Zero percent? I'm going to go with zero. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> nice. I mean, nice. If you ever listen to um, uh, Tom Clarkson's Beyond the Grid, it's it's an F, a long form F1 podcast. It's terrific where he interviews drivers and team principals and things like that. And the Kimmy one is hilarious it's the shortest of them i think (laughs) by by several minutes his stories about his life are much more abbreviated than anybody else's he clearly just does not have that much interest in talking period so that is a great podcast go ahead and check it out after you've consumed the entirety of the no breaks and no dunks archive our next headline comes from formula1.com seems reliable Alfa Romeo announced Valtteri Bottas to join the team in 2022 on a multi-year deal. This one's got to be news. This is absolutely news. In fact, this had been a little bit predicted. There had been a lot of chatter and rumors that he was going to go to Alfa Romeo right up until the last moment. I didn't believe it. Valtteri came to Mercedes from Williams. Williams has a Mercedes engine. Toto Wolff has a very strong relationship with the Williams team going back to when he was a partial owner of the organization and had said one of his priorities was going to be taking care of Valtteri in these upcoming years. I just always thought at the end of the day, Williams is going to take Valtteri as their second driver. That's that's going to be the guy. So I was still, even despite all the rumors, a little bit shocked to hear it. Uh, so I, you know, I think, but I will be interested to see. That being said, it kind of fits with Alfa Romeo's strategy, not just swapping one Finnish guy for another, <laughs> but swapping a, you know, a kind of an elder statesman of the sport, a guy who's been near the very top of the grid, you know, so, so that guy can come in and hopefully be a steady hand for the team, help with development hopefully help maybe uh, shepherd along a younger driver. That's what they're hoping to get out of Botas, is similar to what they've gotten out of Raikkonen. You mentioned it earlier. He's going to be their number one guy, it sure seems like. What do you expect from him as a lead driver on a lesser team? I think it's tough. Alfa Romeo is in a really tough position right now. I'm not convinced that they're going to be meaningfully more competitive than they were this year. They don't feel like they have a lot of momentum going into. So I do think this is going to be a challenge for Valtteri back in the midfield scrapping. Uh, To be honest, despite what he did at Monza and all the brilliant overtaking we saw, he actually from from time to time has struggled when he's found himself kind of stuck in the middle of the grid, even in a Mercedes car. so I think that's going to be all the more challenging in an alpha. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I love Valtteri. He cracks me up, but I, I'm not super bullish on the idea that he's just going to crush it in that seat. So if I'm not mistaken, you drive an Alfa Romeo now, don't you? You're going to get a Valtteri Botas hat or something like that. I, I guess, I guess I gotta be a fan. I'm going to a new favorite fan now. Yeah, totally. Big Botas guy over there. Our third headline also from formula one.com. Mercedes announced George Russell will partner Lewis Hamilton in 2022. 
This is sort of news. Everybody expected it to come. Is this the best possible pairing in Formula One, Graydon? For Mercedes, it's definitely the best possible pairing. And is it just period point blank, the strongest driver duo on the grid? You probably, yeah. Hmm. I mean, George Russell is a, an exceptional talent, a guy who looks to be among the, the kind of the next generation of top tier talents. With Hamilton, you're talking about a guy who many consider the greatest driver of all time. Uh, I think this is going to be just electric to watch. It's going to be so fascinating to see what Russell can do in a Mercedes. It's going to be wild to watch the team dynamics play out and see to what degree they try to make Russell into a number two, what degree he does or doesn't accept that and how Hamilton continues to play or if he will play games inside the paddock with his partner. Because I think that you know Hamilton at times has been a very difficult driver to be teammates with. And you know, Russell, as a young guy, has an existed in those sorts of environments to date. So I, I, it's going to be really fascinating. I think it's going to be a real trial by fire for Russell, but we're also definitely going to see him on the top step sometime next year. Do you think that he'll win a world championship with Mercedes? Russell? Mm -hmm. I think so, yeah. Do you, I do. Do you think uh, like uh, Hamilton will take his experiences being a teammate to Fernando Alonso when he was a really young guy and say, I don't want it to be like that. I want our team to be a little bit more, less tension, um, you know, working together and then handing off the torch eventually. Honestly, I don't. I, mean, <laughs> Hamilton, I, think, nice. I think Hamilton is in this sport to win. I think that he fully intends to continue to compete for titles. I think he sees his teammate as somebody that can take away critical championship points from him. And if you look at the relationship that he had with Nico Rosberg, which was just absolutely venomous, yeah, I, I think that I'm not sure. Will I think they'll pose, both put on a better public face than him and Nico did? I think that him and Russell will do a much better job with the PR management uh, of all of it. And you know, certainly uh, Russell's a guy that Hamilton's known for a long time as a young British driver who's come up through that system. You know, he has known the kid for a really long time. But I, I do think for right now, Hamilton is not interested in seeing Russell succeed. Mm. He's interested in succeeding. Awesome. I can't wait to see that actually go down starting next season. Our final headline is from motorsport.com. Williams signs Alex Albon for Formula One return in 2022. Is this news? This is absolutely news. This is easily for me the biggest shocker of the signings that happened uh, during silly season. Uh, it's it's for a lot of different reasons. First of all, once you've fallen out of the sport of F1, fighting your way back in is incredibly difficult. So I think a lot of us, once Albon got dropped by Red Bull, presumed that that would be the end of his Formula One career. As much as I like the guy, he just didn't perform at the highest level the way that his team expected. Uh, but Red Bull stuck by him. They fought for him. They fought to get him back into the sport. Uh, I think this is also a really interesting choice by Williams because what it does is it signals where they see themselves headed, which is that they want a young driver, but a driver with experience in a top team who can hopefully help them fight further and further up the midfield. This is, uh, I think, very different than going with a guy like Botas, who is towards the end of his career. Albon could potentially be here for many years, depending on how things shake out. So I thought, I thought to me, it's 
it's of course Albon took any seat he could get, but what I think is most fascinating is what this says about the Williams organization and their priorities and what they see uh, as their potential within F1. Yeah, they've already had a pretty solid season this year, you know, getting on the podium, getting points. Even Latifi's been scoring points. I think they got their first points maybe at Hungary right before the break, and then obviously Russell ended up on the podium uh, at Spa. You think Albon's a legit F1 driver? He, he struggled big time uh, with Red Bull the first time around. I do think he is a legit F1 driver. I think that he had the yips a bit. I think that a lot of it's more mental than pure talent. And that, you know, hopefully that's something he can transcend here. I think that the raw driving talent is there. He showed that throughout his youth and he showed it, you know, uh, earlier in his career, you know, when he was with Toro Rosso or Alphatari, I forget what she was. (laughs) But it's like, I, and then, and then he, you know, I I think I think the thing we underestimate, and we saw this with Gasly, we saw it with Albon, and now we see it with Perez, is how hard it is to be the number two driver mm. at Red Bull. That car is designed in every single facet for Max Verstappen. I think Max Verstappen is an incredibly intense guy to have as a teammate. And people have always famously complained about how difficult the Red Bull car is to drive. Sometimes I almost wonder if Max's outsized talent disguises Mm. just how challenging a car that is to handle. It's not surprising we see so many guys flounder in the number two seat there. Uh, I personally am excited for Albon to have another shot and, and think he'll be just fine. All those deals are in place for next season. Definitely an added layer of intrigue that all of this happens during the current racing season because, I don't know, like Botas signing with Alfa Romeo, he's like, hey, I'm just going to go drive my best. And I think that's really awesome. That's all for next year. For right now, though, I'm going into the number two seat to look like a total fool. Graydon, you messaged me the other day saying you wanted to ask me some Formula One questions for once in our lives. I'm ready to look ridiculous here. I know you got some sort of quiz prepared for me. Okay. It's F1 trivia. Here we go. We're going to see. We're going to test Trey's knowledge. I've tried to – some of them are challenging. Some, I think – You'll know, but we've got 20 points, 20 trivia points on the line here. So let's see, you know, one, some of them are multi-point answers. So let's, let's 10 questions, 20 points at stake. Let's go. We've got three categories and then a bonus round, history, terminology, and the current grid. So starting with the history of the sport, with 71 races, what F1 course holds the record for most Grand Prix held at it? It's 71 um, races. What I'm going to guess Silverstone, the British Grand Prix. Is that right? There just seems like there would be a lot of driving there. That is incorrect. Oh. That is incorrect. Silverstone is, is number three okay. on the list with 56. With 56. I will give you one more guess on this one. Monza? For a half point. Monza. Monza okay, is correct. great. With 71 races, Monza is correct. Number two is Monaco with 67. Oh, that should have been my first guest, if I'm being honest. Yeah, that and then been my Silver, first Silverstone and Spa come in at 56 and 54 for three and four. Yeah, well, I know um, McLaren so. has been around forever, and they're a British team, and I know Ferrari has been around forever, so those have got to be a couple of early guesses. I'm glad to see one at least pay off. In honor of Spa, we'll give you a half point. Okay. <laughs> okay. <Got> a- <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I love that. I love a half point. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, this is for two points. 
there's a two-part question. In the movie Rush, Nikki Lauda and James Hunt battle for the world championship. Uh, James, Hunt and James Hunt ends up winning. In what year does this famous title fight occur? <laughs> and at what track... <laughs> What track is the final race held? They're the iconic race in which it is raining, and Nikki Lauda pulls out, feeling that it is raining too hard. Where does that race occur? Okay, I like that you frame it around the movie, because I'm much more likely to have seen the movie, which I have, than actually have gone back and recapped whatever season this is from. <laughs> I'll give you. I'll give you the. Well, no, give, me, okay. give me 1977. Oh. Ah, it was 76. Oh, that was a pretty what a good year. guess. What that a was year. a pretty good guess. It was a pretty good guess. Okay. So n- w- what about the track? Do you remember the track that it ended at? No. Should... No. All I remember is that Nikki Lauda <laughs> is played by the guy who eventually became Baron Zemo uh, in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, okay. It was in Suzuka in Japan. Okay. That, okay. Final, that final race. Okay. And then um, this one... So I got a ha- I got a half point so far. This is great. You got half, okay, you, this last one. You we, we've talked about this guy one time. I'm giving you a hint. We had a conversation about this guy one time. Okay, so uh, Lewis Hamilton and Michael Schumacher are tied for seven world championships. With five world championships, who ranks third all time? Who is the guy with um, five world championships? Alan Prost. Now, Alan Prost has four world championships. He is tied with Sebastian Vettel for okay, fourth and fifth. Okay. Who is third? Senna? No, no. All right, I, all right my, my last guess, I only know the last name, Fangio. Correct. That is I know yes, he's not right. Vic Fangio. I think that's a defensive coordinator in <laughs> yeah. the NFL, if I'm not mistaken. But I know there's a legendary Fangio. The, the Argentine Juan Manuel Fangio won in 51, 54, 55, 56, and 57. It, fun facts about him. He only entered 52 races. He won 24 of them. Not bad. He won 40 over 40. And he was... 39 years old in his first F1 season in 1950. He won his first title at age 40. Not bad. That is a a very different F1 than we have today. Um, What a legend. What a legend. Uh, Okay. On to terminology. Here we go. At least I'm hearing these sometimes. You hear a lot on uh, on the F1 broadcast, and we have even texted about on a Sunday mornings, the undercut. You hear a lot about the undercut, but what is the overcut? What is the overcut? Ooh, the overcut. <laughs> the overcut is when you pit for tires from the lead. No, that is incorrect. No? No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. Okay. The uh, overcut is when you when you pit later than your rival on purpose. Like the undercuts, you know, they, they pit first to go out on fresher tires sooner. The overcuts when you run longer. You might do it okay. because tires are slow to reach temperature because your tires are degrading very slowly because the difference between hard and soft is very minimal. There's a variety of reasons, but that is uh, a... No, but that yeah. it has okay. nothing to do with where you're at in the race. Uh, more so managing your tires with regards. And it has to, to do with where you're. I mean, 
It has to do with your competitors, whether your competitors pitted before you or after you is, you know, fundamentally the, uh, and whether you're doing that intentionally, whether you're, you're overcutting or undercutting. Kind of yeah. Things. I mean, okay. come, on, come on. That's a, that's a little bit of cheating. I feel like if there's an undercut, there has to be an overcut, right? Yeah, Unless you come in on enough. the very next lap, then I feel like it locks it in. Then it's that's, then that means you just got undercut. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, okay. This is one you may have heard uh, Martin Brundle mention on Sundays. He loves to throw this term around. Uh, it was a very important factor at Zandvoort. What is camber? What is camber? Camber is the bank of the turn. Okay, actually, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna give that one to you because they did refer to that as camber in Zandvoort. They did call that the camber <laughs> of the track. That is not normally how they use that term, but I think Brundle literally called it that. So you're getting a point for that. Uh, However, right. normally when people talk about camber, it's actually the uh, angle of the wheels in relation to the front of the car, whether they're turned in or out or they're straight up. This is a neutral camber, negative camber, and a positive camber. And it has to do with whether they're flat or how, they're, how, how much surface area you have on turns and things like that 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 was also the famous thing in the mercedes das driving uh, yeah. system last year they could adjust the camber yeah. by moving the in, and out, in, in and, and out. out okay good one and last of terminology this is going to be critical a critical component of the new 2022 regulations is ground effect what is ground effect ground effect is when you have cool led lights on the underneath <laughs> of your floorboard so when you're flexing in the parking lot at high school you look like the coolest guy not just like you have the loudest car not like you've got the deepest subwoofers but you've also got very cool ground effects underneath that we're giving a half point we're gonna get another half point for that answer because it's a great answer the answer I was looking for was it is a series of aerodynamic effects that help create downforce, mm. primarily which are located beneath the car. So part of the reason that they have so much trouble falling closely and overtaking in current F1 is because so much of the aerodynamic elements are on top of the car. By relocating them under the car, it will allow for cars to follow more closely, pass more often in corners, and hopefully lead to generally more competitive racing. Yeah, so you're telling me that there is a different answer for ground effects in Formula One and Fast and Furious. That is correct. That is, if this is a Fast and Furious trivia, you would have gotten full points, not just a half. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Ben's got my back on this one. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take a point on that one. Let's keep going. Okay, I think. I think this is the one you're gonna do best. I think this is the section you're gonna do best at because here we are in your wheelhouse. The current grid, the current F1 grid. I gotta who's, get these. Whose father? whose father is a two-time World Rally Car Champion and a three-time Dakar Rally Champion. I mentioned this fact on our last No, uh, no Breaks podcast. Whose father okay, is a Okay, a rally champ. Um, ba -ba 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 -ba. Botas, Valtteri Botas. No, oh, that's actually a good guess. That is a good guess, but um, I will, but incorrect. I will give you one more shot at it for half point. The hint is in the guy's name. In the guy's name, there is a hint. In Carlos Sainz. Carlos nice. Sainz Jr. Nice. Carlos Sainz nice. Jr. 
Carlos Sainz Sr. is a two-time World Rally Car Champion and three-time Dakar Rally Champion. I didn't okay. know that. Uh, I knew yeah. he was also a, a driver as well, which is kind of common on the grid these days, but yeah. I didn't know about the rally factor. Nice. He wasn't He wasn't actually an F1 driver. He was a rally driver. That was his, that's his Very cool. claim to fame. Okay. Um, which current driver um, got his first win at the 2014 Canadian Grand Prix? We have a bunch of friends who are Canadian. I'm sure they were watching uh, at this time, you know. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. All right, 2014 Canadian Grand Prix. It's been around for a while. Been around for a minute. How about, hmm, hmm. I feel like Daniel Ricardo. Is that too- That is correct. That's right. That nice is correct. One. That is correct. That is correct. He just, you know, he, he just got to win again. I figured throw a little one on there. I love okay. it. Nice. And now here's a big one for five points. For five points. There are five correct answers. There are five correct answers. Five of the current drivers on the grid are former champions in in FIA's second tier. It was called GP2 and then Formula 2, but let's just call it Formula 2 for simplicity. Okay. It, which, which five drivers are former Formula 2 champions? Mick Schumacher. Correct. Um, Max Verstappen. Incorrect. Charles Leclerc. Correct. Lewis Hamilton. Correct. Uh, Fernando Alonso. No, he's not. No, he actually, I was a little surprised. I actually, yeah. when I was looking this up, I thought he might have been one, actually. And uh, who else? Who else? Pierre Gasly? Pierre Gasly nice. is one. Yeah. There you go. Yes. Okay, so, I'll give you one more guess. I'll give you one guess, more guess. One, one more guess. guess. I will. Who could it be? Daniel Ricardo? No, no way. He's the answer twice. Uh, no, it's George Russell. George Russell. Should have known. George Russell. That's why everybody thinks he has so much promise. Yes, exactly. Okay. So What's that's, the correlation you think between winning Formula Two and then succeeding in the next level? I mean, I'll tell you right now, all five of the guys that you know, Lewis, Pierre, Charles, George, and Mick. Aside from Mick, who I think is just so early in his career, I mean, all four of those guys are somebody that different people have felt are of championship caliber. You know, they talk about them in that way. Sure. You know, so I. I you know, there is – I was shocked to see actually how low the correlation was between general success. If you look through the whole list of Formula 2 champions, like tons of them are nobodies in sure. the history of F1. So I was actually shocked how few of them have succeeded at the next level. That surprised me. Um, so what so, did uh, what did my score end up being here, Graydon? Okay, wait, hold on. Going into the bonus round, going into the bonus round, we've got a half point – one whole point, the two half point. Okay, two points, two point five points. Uh, did you get Carlos? Okay, we're three points. Give you a half point for Carlos Sainz. Four with Ricardo, and then for eight points, eight points headed into the bonus round. Let's see if he can get into the double digits. Let's go with a big six point question in this bonus round to an- answer it. A big six point question. This is this is. Admittedly, there's a couple gimmies in here and then a couple hard ones. The United States Grand Prix. The United States Grand Prix has occurred at six 
different locations around the United States in its history. It's actually technically been at 10, but only six have officially been a part of the F1 calendar. So I'm only counting those that have been a part of the F1 calendar, six of them. What are those six places? What are these six places? Just to clarify, I'm talking about the U.S. Grand Prix. So for example, next year, the Miami Grand Prix will be in Miami, but that is the Miami Grand Prix. That would not count. There have also been races like that. Yeah, so circuit of the americas correct number one number correct. two indianapolis Indi- indianapolis grand prix correct a famously correct. bad race uh, famously got brought up a race. ton after uh spa went down and you know nobody was able to start at this one that one i know uh, <laughs> uh they they raced in los angeles didn't they? They did, but that was that was actually that was this was I almost put the one here there in Long Beach. They did the U.S. Grand Prix West, mm. but it was the same year as the U.S. Grand Prix, so I didn't include that one. But okay, you know. uh, where else? Maybe Charlotte. No, but I like that. <laughs> I don't guess. Know. I like that they guess. got NASCAR there, you know. <laughs> I like that guess. I like yeah. that guess. Okay, there's. I'll give you two two of these. There's. Listen, I would have never gotten, so I, I don't know. But like, I won is a city that that had a very big year in the NBA this year. Phoenix? Correct. Correct. Cool. Nice. And then Keep one, the warm. other one is the course at which the most U.S. Grand Prix have been won. It is the – run, excuse me. It is the course where they have run the most. <sighs> uh, somewhere, somewhere in Florida – no, although there is one in okay. one is in Florida. There is one in Florida, but that's not the one I'm referring to. Um, the one in Florida has got to be Orlando. You know, come to Orlando, see your Formula <laughs> One race. Uh, what the one where there was the most races at? Uh, I don't know, Denver. <laughs> no, it's Watkins Glen. I was going to say York. Watkins Glen, man. Come <laughs> Watkins on. Glen, Watkins Glen in New York. It's in upstate New York. Near yeah, I don't know. I thought that was in Charlotte. It's a road course, right? And I do think they race NASCAR there. They're, they're, they, do they race? I don't think Walk, is Watkins Glen a road course. I think it's just a course. But I, I think it's a regular track course. But I've never been, to be honest. Uh, the, I've heard the name. Okay, the other two The other two are Riverside in California, where only race one year, and then Sebring, which is in Florida. Um, nice. Uh, are the other ones. Um, the other, the ones that were raced before the F1 calendar were Savannah, Milwaukee, Santa Monica, and San Francisco, um, none of which I would expect anybody in their right mind to get. That's some deep cuts to know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. And that, my friends, what what is that? What is that? What's that leave you? I think that leaves you with eleven points. Eleven points. You're in the you're double digits. Nice. I, mean, I like that. That would put me currently sixteenth uh, at the driver's standings, right in between Russell and Latifi. So I'm happy with that. Great, great. Got to be thrilled with that. Uh, I appreciate that, Graydon. We're gonna take one more pit stop here. We're on a two stop strategy. When we come back, we'll take a look ahead to the next couple of races on the schedule. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. 
Stock have too high a price? Buy a slice. Trade fractional shares of your favorite U.S. stocks and ETFs in any dollar amount you choose with zero commissions online. Get started at fidelity.com slash stocks by the slice. Fractional share quantities can be entered to three decimal places if the value of the order is at least one cent. Dollar-based trades can be entered to two decimal places. Sell orders are subject to an activity assessment fee from one cent to three cents per $1,000 of principal. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Well, we're back, Graydon. I've been looking up all kinds of stuff about Watkins Glen during the break. <laughs> Cannot believe I didn't say it just because it's like the one random course name I know. Maybe next time. I appreciate it, though. We mentioned it earlier. Currently seven races left on the schedule for F1 this season, though they're keeping a to-be-announced slot on the docket just in case there are any other courses that are able to have races. Up next on the schedule, we've got the Russian Grand Prix in Sochi, on September 26th, last year's podium, Botas, Verstappen, and Hamilton. This was the race that Hamilton got a couple of five-second penalties for doing practice starts where he wasn't supposed to do practice yeah. starts. That was a weird one. Um, easy win, though, for Mercedes last year. And I think you said earlier this is a track that generally favors Mercedes. Is that the case? I, I Yes, I believe it, since 2014, we've been holding this race seven times. I believe Mercedes has won all seven of the races. They have been incredibly dominant in Sochi. So I think, you know, certainly they'll probably be the favorite going into this weekend, especially how, given how strong they looked in Monza, despite sure. all the mania that caused them to not win the race. They, they still looked great there, and I think that will favor them in Sochi. That being said, if Max can win in Russia, that – that truly feels like the ushering in of a new era for him to win in a track where nobody but Mercedes has ever won. That that starts to feel like, oh, maybe Max is is really going to make it happen this year. Yeah, maybe they got a chance. Red Bull's been doing a lot of things this year that they haven't done in the past so far. Uh, after the Russian Grand Prix, we've got a couple of weeks off between races. After the Singapore and Japan Grands Prix were canceled due to the pandemic. Up next, after Russia. The Turkish Grand Prix on October 10th. Last year's podium, Lewis Hamilton atop first place. Sergio Perez finished second for Racing Point. He was followed at third by Sebastian Vettel racing for Ferrari. This was the race that gave Lewis Hamilton his seventh world championship. It was the first pole for Lance Stroll. Last year, it was very cold and rainy. There was a Lance Stroll, a Canadian, compared it to driving on ice in Canada. Uh, Botas, a Finnish man, compared it to driving on ice in Finland, but I think this was in November last year, so maybe not quite as cold. Is this a good race, generally, the Turkish Grand Prix? Well, it's a fairly new one on the, you know, they brought it back, I think, last year to fill in after we had so many cancellations because of COVID. Uh, it certainly was a great one last year. It was great from beginning to end, whether it was the exciting Lance Stroll poll, all the way down into that very last corner where you saw Leclerc make a failed overtake on Perez and then have Vettel slip by him with just a fraction of the lap left to actually steal the podium from his Ferrari teammate at the time. Yeah, I, I, from end to end, it was really exciting, really great. I, hopefully it is again. It's, what made it so weird last year is that it was there was a new tarmac. They had recently repainted mm. it, so it was incredibly smooth. So that combined with the rain made it really crazy. I, I, I'm interested to see whether that, you know, if in dry conditions it has, you know, similar effects. But 
certainly last year it gave us a great show. Let's let's hope it does again. Yeah, the Slipstream team is saying it was race of the year last year. So that could be exciting. I mean, you know, Spa was a dud, but the next two were fine. And we've still got a really close championship uh, between Verstappen and Hamilton. And then in the constructors as well, there's still much to be decided. That'll be awesome. But feels like a million years from now to be talking about a race in October. In the meantime, we've got... Some other F1 content to consume. Netflix just dropped their Michael Schumacher documentary, Schumacher, this past Wednesday to coincide with Michael's debut in Formula One 30 years ago. The documentary uses archival footage to tell the story of Schumacher's rise to prominence, his world titles, his driving career, and his unfortunate ski accident and subsequent brain injury from which he's been recovering since. I cannot wait to watch this. Graydon, I'm sure you're excited as well. Were you a Michael Schumacher fan? I would be lying if I said I was a Schumacher fan. I came into the sport after him, although he is. I I will say this. As a guy who never watched F1 as a kid growing up or even into my like early 20s, I really only had heard of two individuals, Michael Schumacher and Ayrton Senna, mm-hmm. right? So to, for the, for him to have cut through the noise and to make it to an American fan who wasn't a fan of the sport, I mean, I think he somewhat demonstrates his greatness. And it's going to be very cool to, you know, hear more about his story in detail and see his family life, see young Mick, mm-hmm. see shots of that, I think will be cool. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I can't wait. I uh, I mean, everybody knows that Schumacher is one of the all-time greats. And for me, I'm kind of like you. My first exposure to Formula One period was just hearing the name Michael Schumacher because he was always like the highest paid athlete in the world. And it was mind-blowing to me yeah. that there was another Michael out there who was more famous than Michael Jordan at the time. I was deep in Sebastian Vettel's Wikipedia the other day, and he said growing up, he worshipped the three Michaels, Schumacher, Jordan, and Jackson, but he couldn't sing and he couldn't play basketball, so he became a driver. Great stuff. I cannot wait to watch this. I know Lee's really excited as well. We might have to get that guy on to chat about this as well. Graydon, thank you once again for joining us to talk about fast race cars. Everybody, please go follow Graydon on Twitter. That's at Mr. Gordian. He ghost wrote... A song for Drake. Pretty exciting <laughs> stuff. Graydon, I don't know. This might be the most retweeted and liked tweet of 2021. You tweeted, Drake working Antetokounmpo into a line is going to be tricky, but he'll figure out something. And then he did. And then he responded to an Instagram repost of your tweet saying, I only did this line because of this tweet. Do you have a follow up for Drizzy? I'm just saying that if, if you need more inspiration, you need someone to collaborate with, just hit me up, man. You know, I'm always here to like kick around ideas, you know, help push you to even greater artistic heights. So just get at me. Get at me, Drake. I'm, I'm around. Yeah, he's got the microphone. He's got the headlines. And obviously he's got the bars as well. Please also follow No Dunks at No Dunks Inc. Anywhere you can. YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. That's at No Dunks Inc. Everywhere. Email us at nodunksattheathletic.com. Let us know if you want more no breaks. Let us know if you want less. Just engage with us as we conquer algae rhythm. We'll be back on Monday with another show that isn't about basketball and another banger guest. Let's just say it's a good time to get in. Clipper bros. You heard it here first. Have a great time. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. Stay speedy, people. We'll catch you soon.
Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.